story twelve of elsie and the child a tale of riceyman's steps and other stories by arnold bennett this librivox recording is in the public domain story twelve the fish one reginald sark was sitting with several other members of the theatrical profession in the waiting-room of mr cutter's celebrated agency a shabby and dark chamber which might well have been called the chamber of hope deferred in common with the bulk of mr cutter's humbler clients who were professionally resting reginald sark looked in at the office in chandos street almost every day for fear that if he didn't he might miss something good he was a man appreciably less than thirty fair ingenuous in expression and carefully dressed in the breezy manner with special attention to collar necktie and pin and perhaps not quite enough to boots the great fat cutter himself invaded the room and the conversations about horse-racing and frocks and the fictions about salaries instantly ceased as hopes deferred irrepressibly pushed forth again in the vitalizing presence of the old gentleman mr cutter's eye happened to fall upon reginald sark hello reggie said he i was just thinking of writing to you this statement was untrue but of course reginald believed it and also reginald loved to be called reggie because for him reggie had an aristocratic clubmanish sound and it was in order to be addressed as reggie that he had given himself the name of reginald which was not his own sark was authentic enough he was justly proud of sark and on the basis of a jocular remark by an acquaintance he had gradually built up a legend that his family had left the channel islands for england in the eighteenth century he now believed the legend he rose eagerly at mr cutter's inspiring words and in a moment saw himself playing a good part at a good salary in a five hundred night success in another moment he had ordered new suits at a tailor's in conduit street and bought himself a gold cigarette case come out here there's a good fellow said mr cutter pointing to the staircase you don't mind do you certainly agreed reginald with enthusiasm charmed as were other clients by mr cutter's amiable style on the dim little landing mr cutter said very confidentially there's a walk-on at the princess's it's not much but it might lead to more miss flyfax's season sure winner i'm told if you think anything of it run off there at once but leave the salary to me to settle cecil frank's the man to see i'll telephone him you're on the way urged onwards by a friendly pat on the back reginald swept down the stairs his scheme for the gold cigarette case was somewhat dashed but with the healthy instinct of the born optimist he fastened on the magic words might lead to more in spite of reginald's ingratiating tones the fat and inimical stage-doorkeeper of the princesses would not accept without confirmation reginald's formula business appointment with mr frank and he sent a boy to make sure that reginald was not bluffing he had been hoodwinked by plausible reginalds too often you can go up sir said he gloomily when the boy returned and reginald went up with haughty dignity not too haughty however for if he got the job he would necessarily be in permanent relations with the powerful stage doorkeeper and stage doorkeepers are kittle cattle a gentleman whom reginald took to be mr cecil frank was leaning over a rickety table at which was seated another gentleman 
the two were discussing lines in the play seemingly in rehearsal and mr cecil frank was scoring the script with a blue pencil various ladies and gentlemen strolled to and fro or stood still and their deportment and facial expression showed that they were thoroughly accustomed to unforeseen delays reginald glanced over the edge of the stage into the twilight of the shrouded auditorium and thought what a magnificent auditorium it would be to act in he pictured it glittering with electricity and packed from stall to gallery by a delirious audience then he noticed two women talking together in the little niche with a desk where the assistant stage manager was lord one of them was dark and the other was fair and both were superb in dress in gesture and in unconscious natural haughtiness reginald had just attempted haughtiness he now saw the real thing and perceived that the next time he tried after it he would and must do better these women obviously had the world at their feet and would think no more of a gold cigarette case than of a paper packet of gold flakes the dark one was without doubt emily flyfax the star of both comedy and tragedy commonly referred to as m in the profession reginald had not seen her act for years he had immense difficulty on account of his obscurity in obtaining complimentary tickets at really high-class theatres but he recognized her partly from a vague resemblance to her former self and partly from a still more vague resemblance to her recent photographs it next occurred to the startled reginald that the two illustrious women of the world were discussing himself with smiling vivacity they were doing so quite openly as though he were far away and could not see them reginald blushed and surreptitiously examined his person as well as he could fearing that something might be wrong not that these illustrious women were contemptuous or even subtly satiric no though unquestionably free in their vivacity they had a benevolent air towards him the next event in reginald's life was that emily flyfax strolled forward with a grand free movement of the limbs characteristic of her and accosted him who are you she asked curious kind careless you're intriguing us dreadfully she had a thrilling voice an exquisite enunciation she was as tall as reginald i'm reginald sark he replied confused oh of course said emily flyfax vaguely how stupid of me did she then know of him or was she being very negligently polite one part of reginald's mind knew that miss flyfax did not know him and could not possibly have recognized him but strangely another part of reginald's mind accepted her negligent politeness as the truth and reginald hugged himself because the great m had recognized him and knew of him amazing moment miss flyfax stood close to him she was excitingly perfumed she was fashionably dressed in black with a marvellous hat she wore some astounding jewellery and had a general aspect of extreme yet not strident expensiveness but what overpowered reginald more than these things was the sensation which he had of a personality extremely powerful and extremely feminine it was the rich voice the full lips the flashing eyes the curves of the cheek and bosom but it was more even than these it was something mysterious he was attracted and afraid he was simply not in her presence 
are you playing in this new show she asked again i forget i never can remember the cast any play i'm in till after the hundredth night she laughed humorously but also it seemed in self-mockery and all the time she was examining him reginald explained his presence oh but i think you'd do splendidly for the distinguished guest who is too noble to open his mug at my party in the second act you look it perfectly of course i never never interfere with dear mr frank but i'll speak to him by the way have you done much understudying reginald recounted in fine general terms his career the phraseology of this recital had become fixed like that of a beetle showing a church to visitors he had once played a small part in the west end and he had understudied five small parts in the west end truly three of them were in one play but he admitted minor details his triumph had been on tour to tour in a repertory company was such valuable experience he had played in old english comedy on tour by a strange and happy chance he had some press cuttings in his pocket very interesting murmured miss flyfax glancing at the soiled press cuttings without the slightest pretence of reading them the fair woman of the world joined them moving soundlessly though somewhat flat in contour she was very beautiful very expensive and haughtier even than m it appeared to the intimidated reginald that both were conscious of vast power mistresses of the earth oh queenie this is reginald sark mr sark uh, lady queenie paul at that dazzling name chief ornament of all popular dailies and weeklies reginald trembled he could not believe that he was in such company lady queenie shook hands what a style the two women still youngish and yet mature in knowledge seemed to surround him to envelop him in their disturbing atmosphere never had reginald felt anything like it he was aware of a whole series of new sensations was it possible that they were admiring him if they were he could not imagine why for they had not seen him act what do you think of his voice queenie m asked it's perfectly thrilling but don't tell him i said so these handsome creatures get far too much flattery answered lady queenie and they're like us she added gazing squarely at him as she spoke the ladies smiled reginald blushed again and smiled foolishly they kept close to him murmuring vaguely to themselves or to him then emily flyfax turned round cecil you poor sweet horrid darling she said to mr frank who had left the table you know i never interfere but this time i do think we found the missing understudy for jack and he's ideal for the proud silent guest mr reginald sark he's played all the big roles in old english comedy just the training we wanted isn't it reginald wanted to deny that he had played all the big roles in old english comedy but miss flyfax merely put her ringed hand over his mouth astonishing gesture mr cecil frank answered absently and shook hands like a dying man but reginald felt that he was from that moment engaged and he was where do you live siegfried miss flyfax asked afterwards bending towards him because rehearsals in this theatre are apt to be a little irregular they say it's my fault oh bloomsbury miss flyfax quite central quite central said reginald airily are you on the phone uh, no not at the moment how sagacious how wise you are queenie the dear thing is not on the phone i wouldn't be if i had the courage Two 
reginald did live in bloomsbury but so near the edge of it that he almost toppled over across euston road into another region of north london which he could not possibly have mentioned so airily to miss flyfax he inhabited an enormous mansion sharing it with many hundred other persons one of the advantages claimed for this mansion was that it was convenient for the great railway termini it certainly was the huge building had several entrances and it was honeycombed with numerous flights of stairs and long corridors all of imperishable naked resounding stone and all very clean there were no such transient phenomena as lifts in the arcana of the mansion on every side the explorer was encouraged and bewildered by the images of red hands pointing to painted groups of numbers the numbers being repeated on one or another of some hundreds of little black doors each of which doors was a front door and the portal of a castle all the castles were like reginald's castle it consisted of two rooms so small and so low that you could not imagine them smaller or lower but cosy and light together with a dark cell in which a cooking-stove and a slop-stone were imprisoned for life the landlord had set to his legion of tenants a prodigious example of economy in space and the tenants helped by the force of circumstances imitated this economy in monetary expenditure the mansion was a place where in every castle every penny counted and had to count having changed his coat and his boots reginald sat down to a simple but nourishing meal and narrated the events of the morning to his wife gladiola was a miniature girl born to live in the castle and fitting it to a nicety very dark darker than emily flyfax neat spruce lively alert and decided she was perhaps a couple of years older than reginald her mother had kept theatrical lodgings in a midland town reginald had unromantically married his landlady's daughter who in addition to being a fair cook and a very efficient manageress had come into a bit of money she ruled him but she saved him from his histrionic temperament and from the whiskey-and-soda fate of the mediocre young actor whose infrequent coins burn holes in his pockets if i were you i should beware of those people said she cheerfully when the narration was done they're a queer lot oh they're all right mildly protested reginald who was the more shocked by this ruthless judgment on goddesses in that gladiola had always hailed them in the columns of the daily mirror with a respectful enthusiasm have you signed the contract no the excellent cutter is seeing to that and i shall sign it this afternoon and i am to watch a rehearsal to-night it's in the maiden lane lecture hall you see they can't have the stage to-night i must say i can't in the least make out why they've fastened on me in such a hurry this last statement was an exaggeration reginald's mind still rang with lady queenie's phrase which he had not recounted to his wife these handsome creatures was he handsome he supposed that he must be though among his adventures he could find nothing to prove the new and agreeable supposition a glance now and then perhaps i can tell you how it happened said gladiola when mr cutter telephoned to the theatre before you arrived he must have said something special you may depend upon it they all knew all about you before you got there only they're so sly and so saying gladiola in her turn also deceived 
her own private explanation of the affair was quite different and it coincided with reginald's own private explanation she had married reginald for one sole reason in her opinion he was the handsomest man she had ever seen he was her luxury her madness her gee-gaw for which she was prepared to risk ruin she never mentioned his beauty to him even in those moments of transport when secrets escape from a woman's lips she would praise his character his sagacity and his professional skill none of which she esteemed she could not understand how it was that other women and especially actresses in whose mentality she was deeply versed had not perceived his extraordinary beauty she now comprehended that one woman if not two had perceived it and she grew anxious defensive and cunning have you any money left she asked him as he was making himself breezily smart for the second visit to mr cutter oh about a bob here's two shillings she had the money in her chubby hand mysteriously ready for him reginald never knew exactly where she kept the household resources he took the florin and looked down at her somewhat condescendingly but yet respectfully for like the stage doorkeeper she had power a commonplace little piece compared with the glorious queens whom he had met and fascinated and whom dazzling thought he would meet and fascinate again that very night however he could not do less than kiss her she was a good and useful little piece if a tartar upon occasion no she cried flashing her black eyes and withdrawing her head you didn't kiss me when you came in and so you shan't kiss me now didn't i he was abashed if i didn't it was pure forgetfulness that makes it all the worse said she i wouldn't have minded it if you'd done it on purpose i can stand anything except being forgotten she ran off as far as the dimensions of the flat would allow it was plain to her that when he arrived for lunch he simply did not know what he was doing so intoxicated was he by the flavour of the outside world she felt that she had to sober him to give him something to think about she succeeded he was more than abashed he was frightened to be courted as he thought by queens and to be flouted by little gladiola from a petty street in derby and she had so cleverly concealed her resentment at his negligence in forgetting to kiss her on arrival shooting it out finally in the most dramatic and surprising manner don't be late for mr cutter said she from the window oh all right said he with affected nonchalance he had an impulse to rush at her and force a kiss on her but he restrained it he would show her that he could be as independent as she moreover he considered that she had taken his great news too coldly when he returned at nearly midnight after a rather disappointing evening he had qualms about the nature of her reception of him he entered the castle with care not a bit like the lord of the castle the bedroom was dark was she in bed and sulking or sleeping he opened the door of the tiny living-room the tiny electric light was burning on the tiny sofa in front of the tiny gas-fire sat tiny gladiola her hair fixed for the night her arms had been pushed anyhow into her yellow dressing-gown she was sewing she twisted her head round and smiled at him she did not remark on his lateness nor ask him about what he had done at the rehearsal she just provocatively smiled why he exclaimed what on earth i did go to bed she said but then i remembered i had this sewing to do 
and so i got up again and put on my dressing-gown i'm quite warm reginald hesitated having strange sensations not for the first time that day well she said singularly throwing her head and shoulders back you can kiss me now i've forgiven you three the artistes were all together after second act rehearsal one morning when jack moy the leading man said to mr frank what about seats for the first night cecil my lad only the most urgent applications considered replied mr frank buoyantly we could sell right out if we wanted thereupon everybody present made the most urgent application except m flyfax who had already commandeered a box and except reginald reginald did not ask for anything because if he had asked he would have been obliged to support his demand by saying that the seat was for his wife now he had somehow never found the right moment to mention to either miss flyfax or to lady queenie who haunted the rehearsals that he possessed a wife and he was mysteriously ashamed to do so at the critical instant no one in the company knew anything about him though every one was inexplicably polite and some were even almost deferential to him if i could have a stall for the second performance mr frank he suggested later more privately knowing that there would be no difficulty whatever about the second performance that night he lied to gladiola tried my best to get you a seat for the first night nothing doing bookings bang creation but i've got one for the second it was not as if his relations with emily flyfax had been progressing she seldom even spoke to him save professionally only once passing him in the wings she had murmured with an inscrutable transient smile siegfried a name the tremendous associations of which were perfectly unknown to reginald who never read anything and was bored by what he would refer to respectfully as a classical music lady queenie conversed with him now and then in low and slow phrases but reginald could not make her out and he soon got used to her title he had plenty to do for the understudies were rehearsed as probably understudies had never before been rehearsed previous to a production this was due entirely to miss flyfax who though paid sorely to play and by no means to manage nevertheless like many stars did more managing than the manager the difference between her and most stars in this respect was that what she did was done apparently by kindness certainly not by petulance or threats miss flyfax saw to it that all the understudies including her own were carefully rehearsed she said you never knew what might happen at the first performance everybody said to everybody behind that the audience was eating it the return for the second night beat all the records of the theatre for a second night the ticket agencies made a deal for three months reginald found in the press notices a few lines here and there in praise of his rendering of the mute guest at the end of a fortnight he was quite accustomed to playing in a first-rate west end show and receiving ten pounds on a friday night far more than he had ever received before one evening he excitedly informed gladiola that the two stars emily and jack had had a terrific row the next morning an express messenger brought a note to the flat and reginald saw how right miss flyfax had been in saying that you never knew what might happen good god he exclaimed to gladiola who was washing up jack moy's ill and i have got to play his part tonight. then in an anxious condescending tone 
i hope my understudy'll pull through he had a colossal day of it clothes wig jewelry to say nothing of a long rehearsal with emily flyfax and sundry others he heard that jack moy's illness though authenticated by a doctor's certificate was purely political what he did not hear was the general opinion in the theatre that to entrust an inexperienced mediocrity like reginald with the principal male role was absolute madness and that m was off her head and old cecil an idiot in the latter view old cecil concurred the two bright spots were one that reginald simply had no nerves and two that somehow nothing could kill the success of tea on the terrace when the curtain went up the entire company one person excepted perspired with apprehension the exception was reginald and reginald was justified in not perspiring he displayed no original talent but he came through with a sort of negative credit partly by imitating jack moy to the least detail and partly by the very expert aid of miss flyfax what utterly amazed the management and the entire company including reginald was the clear fact that the audience loved reginald he had a very marked personal triumph and at the end miss flyfax compelled him to take a call alone at which the company smiled with sinister significance still the company except emily pelted him with compliments and cecil frank slapped his back and addressed him as reggie in the splendid privacy of jack moy's dressing-room reginald got a note come now and be admired my siegfried m yet on the final fall of the curtain she had left him without a word on the way to the star's dressing-room he encountered lady queenie who clapped her hands going said he yes i should be in the way said she and then very surprisingly she kissed him don't tell said she over her shoulder running off four emily flyfax's dressing-room which she had occupied continually for several years had a more personal quality than the majority of dressing-rooms emily in fact had remade the place it was full perhaps rather too full of small bits of old furniture brocade photographs mirrors electric lamps and especially cushions if it lacked anything it lacked ventilation but emily felt no need for ventilation the cushions were heaped about the floor and emily had only two cushions between herself and the carpet when reginald entered and the dresser softly closed the door emily did not speak at first she simply looked up with burning eyes which ranged as it were prowling all over reginald's figure she had not removed her paint and powder but paint and powder became her at all times she could carry them off even at close quarters in a small room she was scarcely young she was however a magnificent voluptuous and thrilling creature rendered at once self-conscious and absent-minded by his success reginald could not break the silence well my child she murmured at length the richness of her voice was equalled only by the perfection of her enunciation the solemn tones permeated the room like an odour and then seemed to hang in the heavy air like clouds of incense you don't know how wonderful you are do you really think i can act he asked ravenous for more praise she smiled indulgently and then said i don't mean your acting i mean you siegfried 
reginald heard and beheld her as in a dream from which he could not awake through a veil formed of wild hand-clapping and bright upturned faces and visions of a career and she was piercing the veil now she was kneeling in the cushions close to him with clasped hands and transfigured face and he on his feet was high above her in the terrific glare of light his perceptions were at the best never keen but he could not fail to see that the splendid mature woman was in an enchantment a rapture an ecstasy she had no more shame and no less directness than a goddess than venus herself she had passed beyond all conventions but despite this the native distinction and force of her individuality maintained her dignity in full reginald was frightened deliciously and incomprehensibly frightened perhaps still frightened emily breathed oh you divine simpleton can't you see i'm a grand amireuse she appeared to become incandescent reginald might have been burnt up his skin crept down his back he was wondering not without inklings of the truth what a grand amoureuse might be when a rap sounded on the door well cried miss flyfax with extraordinary presence of mind and then rising very rapidly and yet without haste come in come in don't stand out there her features were entirely recomposed mrs sark here wishes to see mr reginald sark at once said the dresser entering the star was putting on an embroidered japanese robe with which she clad herself in a single moment reginald blushed deeply he did not know where to look or what to say he was fully aware that his wife had been in the audience for he had obtained the ticket for her but in the intensity of his egoism he had completely forgotten her ask mrs sark to come in said emily flyfax with astounding tranquillity oh how do you do mrs sark so glad to meet you i was just telling your husband there stood tiny gladiola no doubt a force in the vicinity of the great railway termini but a nonentity in emily's dressing-room she was neat enough and not scared and she wore her one evening dress and evening cloak and withal she was just like an irreproachable shop-girl satisfactorily titivated for an evening out as she stood beside the large-framed glorious dangerous orchidaceous many-faceted artiste reginald was ashamed of her she did not look at emily flyfax she looked at reginald and reginald wondered what in heaven's name would happen next what happened next was that gladiola burst into tears and it was just as if she had burst into blossom but what is the matter mrs sark emily inquired kindly gladiola replied to reginald not to the actress it's only because i'm so happy oh reggie you were too beautiful her emotion suddenly gave her an unrivalled dignity she had lost all to her reginald and in so doing had found a new impressiveness which overcame him she sat down you must drink something said emily flyfax quickly seizing a wine-glass the glass crumpled in her hand like a biscuit and the fragments fell on the floor with a muffled silvery sound emily got another glass and gave the receptive gladiola some soda-water thank you said gladiola weakly 
how glad i am for you said emily sympathetically your hand's bleeding miss flyfax said reginald more in order to say something anything than because the fact interested him oh that's nothing emily answered i often do it reginald led his gladiola away five the next morning he was round at the theatre for no plain reason except that in a night he had become a careerist and the instinct of the careerist had mysteriously drawn him to the theatre sure enough cecil frank catching sight of him invited him into the managerial office and gave him one of the excessively thick turkish cigarettes which forever lay in the inexhaustible silver box on the managerial desk look here reggie said cecil frank leaning back in his armed swiveled chair we needn't beat about the bush i'll give you a three years contract twenty-five pounds a week usual conditions it's a cinch for you but i've always been one to encourage the young say the word and we'll sign now but how soon is moy coming back asked reginald with wise irrelevance and acting calmness better than he had ever acted anything on the stage uh, between ourselves mr frank replied moy isn't coming back this theatre's too small to hold him and miss flyfax together any more and i'm not sorry but what's moy got to do with it whatever you play and whether you play or not you'll get your salary however i don't mind telling you you'll play moy's part for the rest of the run which means till kingdom come more or less i can't sign anything without consulting the excellent cutter said reginald he made me promise which was clever but untrue shall we say thirty cooed mr frank remember i've got you for the run at ten pounds mistaken tactics by mr frank i'll push off and see the excellent cutter at once said reginald and he pushed off mr cecil frank falsely pretending that after all he preferred reginald to see mr cutter before signing anything it is marvellous how things get about there was no waiting to be done by reginald in the agent's outer office and he was received in an entirely new manner mr cutter listened attentively and then said we'll do nothing to-day i'll come and see the show to-night then i shall be in a better position to judge the success of reginald's second heroical performance exceeded that of the first mr cutter slipped round behind at the close don't you sign for three years said he we'll make him tear up your present contract and give you a new one for jack moy's part for the run at thirty you'll be worth a bit above thirty before the end of the run how much was moy getting reginald asked thoughtfully sixty-five on the following morning reginald nudged his wife in bed she awoke and stroked his cheek he yawned frightfully heavy work said he and the matinee to-day i'll have my breakfast in bed at half-past eleven you'd better take your things into the other room and dress there because i'm going to sleep again she kissed him delicately in silence and arose at eleven-thirty all spruce smiling and obedient she tiptoed into the bedroom with his breakfast attractively arranged on a tray apologizing for obeying him so exactly you'd better look out for another flat my dear said he kindly by the way i've been wondering how much i ought to allow you for housekeeping if you use your own bit for your clothes you ought to be able to look quite smart oughtn't you oh yes she agreed eagerly betraying by not the least sign that only a week ago she had had sole and unquestioned control of the combined conjugal exchequer 
all these marvellous changes happened because some people chiefly women clapped their hands enthusiastically and looked up with bright shining faces when reginald made an exit or took a call the other members of the company began to make nasty remarks about the size of reginald's head the badness of his acting and the idiocy of the public but reginald did not hear the remarks six it was a few days later that reginald received a quite unemotional note from emily flyfax dear mr sark i should be so pleased if you could come to my flat this afternoon for tea if i don't hear from you i'll expect you yours sincerely by the same post he was made aware of the fact that the illustrated press was reacting to his existence the two great rivals in the illustrated daily press were running neck and neck after him both at the same moment wanted photographs and matter an interview reginald had been meditating earnestly upon the photograph question of course he had many photographs of himself but he dreamed of new ones which would dazzle the beholder as to interviews he would grant them but only in his dressing-room until gladiola had discovered a desirable abode by this time he had adopted instinctively and honestly a sort of amiably fatigued attitude towards the world you could not keep people off they simply would not leave you alone therefore you must let them come on and also he had grown critical of the evening's applause if it was not up to the high-water mark he would say to his dresser scarcely a hand to-night or stodgy lot to-night or i can't think what's the matter with em when everybody knew that the applause was still extremely generous he entered emily's drawing-room with a magnificent assurance which was somewhat wasted for the reason that she was not there a very luxurious room and the lift porter had style but he would attain to a drawing-room just as good and before long too he was not particularly curious about emily's purpose in regard to him since the feverish scene in her dressing-room she had displayed no further symptoms whatever of a disordered temperament on the stage with him she was most helpful and business-like well you could not understand women nobody could and there you were that she still admired him he did not doubt anyhow she could not dispute that he got quite as much applause as she did she came in wearing a rather plain afternoon dress and smiling a little sadly and shook hands with her usual benevolent friendliness so nice of you to come do sit down she said tea will be here in a moment reginald sat rather awkwardly and his awkwardness was increased as emily disposing herself elaborately on a sofa gave no sign of undertaking the main burden of the conversation reginald despite the enthusiasm of thousands who had paid money to see him disport himself in a drawing-room with only three sides to it could not make much of a figure in a drawing-room with the usual number of walls in particular he could not converse and this vexed him and set him against those persons who forced him to see his own defect how is your wife said the rich voice do you know i'd got no idea you were married what a nice devoted creature keep her reginald treat her with imagination i trust you do a wife like that is invaluable you'll deceive her of course you must she will expect it for she knows by instinct that no woman can possibly hope to monopolize a man like you reginald gave a foolish constrained snigger 
oh oh i'm quite serious said emily flyfax i'm always serious about such matters few people are then your wife is young she will be young for years yet you don't know but i know youth is the greatest thing in the world don't i realize it she sighed yet reginald thought she was looking unusually young that afternoon a maid brought in the tea and went out again and emily flyfax made no movement i wonder what she's up to this time thought reginald he was incapable of comprehending that the ungovernably temperamental artiste was essaying new tactics appealing to him in an entirely fresh way feeling gently for his compassion instead of trying to carry him by assault the grandeur of her despairing courage was lost on him as she stretched out an arm seized a large early photograph of herself offered it for his inspection and murmured with a kind of touching majesty this is what i once was look at it she gazed at him as if saying do not let me abase my present self too far i am still a wondrous treasure of delights reginald took the photograph and examined it by the by said he interested tell me who are the best stage photographers in these days she continued for a few instants to gaze at him after he had uttered these remarkable words then rose slowly and left the room not shutting the door reginald waited calmly at first for her return ten minutes passed like an hour the tea was cooling should he pour out some tea for himself what could she be doing should he ring the bell and inquire about her what was the correct worldly course in such a singular contretemps well he dared not pour out the tea he produced his beautiful gold cigarette case regarded it lit a cigarette and resumed his waiting he no more dared ring the bell than he dared pour out the tea but something must be done he was making up his mind to the extreme act of ringing the bell when the door opened wide and there entered lady queenie paul she was a lovely object considerably younger than emily flyfax astonishingly dressed as though with the intention of combining all the style of the west with all the lure of the east her complexion was unique but though graceful in the serpentine manner she had not the generous contours nor the individual distinction nor the tremendous force nor the honest good nature of emily and her eye was hard and her low voice not liquid i've come to pour out your tea she said shaking hands and to apologize for poor emily don't be afraid my dear reggie i shan't attempt to kiss you she sat down calmly inspected the tea-tray and poured out the tea which was fatally stewed and almost cold but which reginald meekly drank is miss flyfax unwell he asked not at all lady queenie smiled emily is never unwell whereas i'm never well i ought to explain to you reggie that m and i really are the greatest friends i've taken a flat in this block partly to be near her and partly to escape my noble but timid parents emily ran up to see me after she left you she cried in my arms cried exclaimed reginald lady queenie nodded mysteriously all on account of you of course it was entirely her own fault i may as well tell you the whole truth 
i'd expect m to do the same for me moreover she asked me to besides you know what perfect cats women are don't you darling emily is absurd she has the most ridiculous illusions she thinks that you owe your position at the princesses entirely to her and that she quarrelled with jack moy solely for your sake she's incapable of seeing that you are a great actor with nothing to learn from her or anybody else and that cecil frank would have jumped at you anyway she won't admit that genius always comes to the top especially on the stage when she wants anything she wants it she wanted you to be kind to her she tried one way and then she tried another she can't play with a man like i can she's too honest i'm not honest moreover she was mad about you utterly mad she always admitted it it seems she took her heart out of her breast and offered it to you half an hour ago and that in reply you asked her for the name of the best photographers well you cured her she did cry in my arms but she laughed too i left her laughing and she was saying that she wondered how she could ever have thought you beautiful the capricious creature is now convinced that you've got no chin and your features aren't a bit regular and you have a fatuous wistful expression that pleases silly women which means nine women out of ten these are her actual views and she requested me to inform you about them when i pointed out that your feelings might be hurt she said that that was quite impossible because your feelings are so fully protected by your admirable and absolutely impenetrable self-conceit which we both admire so much another cup reggie reginald remarked i'm hanged if you aren't both mad i never heard such ravings we aren't mad now said lady queenie we were hang it can't a fellow ask the name of a good photographer he left his chair not in aristocratic circles lady queenie answered it's not done reggie she called him back as he was departing don't breathe a word of all this to-night or there may be trouble she didn't really tell me to tell you but i can never resist a new sensation and so i told you seven it is the first night at daly's the band is playing before the curtain the celebrities are coming into the stalls and the experts in the pit are recognizing them assessing them and applauding them ministers of the crown are applauded old actresses and young actresses are applauded prize-fighters are applauded soldiers are applauded all with discretion then out burst a perfect roar of applause it was for a still youngish man with loose-jointed deportment no chin worth mentioning and a romantic wistful sympathy-demanding expression on his otherwise dull and fatuous face the pit has identified reginald sark hero of the m o s or mad on sark brigade of mettled young women he is able to attend the first night because he happens to be rehearsing a new piece his photographs are in the windows of all the stationery shops the illustrated papers never lose an opportunity of publishing them and no mean part of his considerable income derives from the said photographs the dramatic critics keep on saying year after year that he is learning to act and taking his art seriously he is the most popular actor in london he never appears either on the stage or off without receiving enthusiastic applause 
but no paper ever mentions that a mrs sark exists and that he is a faithful husband to her and the father of her five children the brigade is now convinced that his life is a constant leaping from one adoration to another and that he is marvellously sinful at the end of the first act when he leaves the stalls to go behind the pit furiously applauds and when he returns the pit furiously applauds at the end of the third act when he leaves the stalls to get a drink the pit furiously applauds and when he returns the pit furiously applauds the poor man cannot blow his nose without hand-clapping he regards the whole business as the most natural thing in the world they will do it he says to himself let them after all there is nobody like me ill-natured men in theatrical clubs say that his self-conceit is the himalaya of self-conceits that he has never in his life done anything but look wistful and that the earth is a queer place these cynics are unjust it would have been impossible for reginald or anybody else not to be acutely conceited in reginald's circumstances he cannot help his face he may not be an actor but he is a model citizen end of story twelve